the Full Time Out Podcast, the basketball coaching podcast that brings you the best ideas from the game's brightest minds. I'm your host, John Leonzo, and today we are joined by Coach Mark Elin. Mark has had a 40-plus year basketball coaching career, including spending time as the head coach at Xavier University and the University of Toledo. He's had a very successful coaching career. He's even in the University of Toledo Athletic Hall of Fame, and today he is here to share with us lessons that he has learned and reminders that he gave himself when he was a head coach. Before you do check out our interview with Mark, I would encourage you to go check out my coaching website, leonzobasketball.com. That's L-E-O-N-Z-O basketball.com. On the site, you're going to go ahead and find a bunch of coaching videos, handouts, even some paid-for products that would help you elevate your coaching to the next level. If you like the speakers we have on the show and the content I share, you'll certainly like the site. So please go ahead and check out leonzobasketball.com. Again, that's L-E-O-N-Z-O basketball.com. And now to our interview with Coach Mark Elin. Well, today on the Full Time Out Podcast, we are joined by Coach Mark Elin. Mark has had a very successful and long head coaching career, and he is here today to share a little bit about his experience with us. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you here. So I want to dive right into it. Um, a few months ago, you shared on Twitter a list of 10 reminders that uh, you wrote on your desk when you were a head coach during your time at Toledo and Xavier, and they were really resonated with me of just tangible things that make your coaching experience better and your team's experience better. And so I want to kind of pick your brain about each of those 10 things. Um, but before I even dive into that, I want to ask you about that list. Was that something that you sat down and wrote all at one time, or did they kind of come together as a full list over the years? Well, yeah, it's um, it was it, it was a process of years. You know how it is as a coach. You you see something you like. It might be just a little statement or a quote, and you save it. And you you end up having then folders <laughs> worth of of little tidbits and quotes and um, things like that. And um, so. Um, I wanted something that I could look at every day to remind me of what's important with, with my job because as, as a coach and you know how this is, you get caught up doing a thousand other things and the ones who get uh, neglected the most are probably the players. You, know, you get caught up in doing the minutia of, you know, office work or, or recruiting or whatever it might be. And sometimes the, uh, I, I wanted to put the players first, and so many of, of, of these 10 reminders are just remember that your players are most important in, in, in your day. And um, so I, I wanted to have something on my desk that I could just, I, I put it, uh, you know, right by my phone, and I just wanted to be able to glance at it. Maybe when I got in in the morning, I can't say that I, I looked at it every day, but it was always there staring at me. And uh, certainly before practice, I would pull it out and just kind of, you know, go through the list. And um, it really helped me put, you know, put me in a good spot, you know, before practice or as the day started. I love it. And so I'll, I'll start to walk right down the list. Um, the very first one is something that I actually stole from you and put on the list of things that I keep, and that is that the best thing I can teach is becoming and remaining a team. Uh, just talk about that one a little bit. Well, you know, what I like about that that sentence is not so much the becoming a team, which is you know hard enough. The hardest part is remaining a team. I think a lot of coaches spend a lot of time in the preseason you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do all the team building stuff and everything's great. And, you know, 
everybody says, oh, we're so close and all, and, and then the roller coaster begins, you know, and, uh, I don't care if you're a great team or a terrible team, there's a roller coaster action going on. And so it's, it's a constant process. It's a constant communication, a constant, uh, job of the coach to tell the truth, um, a constant questioning are we on the same page are we sharing the journey or is there a flickering light in there that's that's pulling us down a little bit we had a sign in our locker room at xavier uh i really liked it it says uh, get out of yourself and into the team just a little reminder as they walk out the, the 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 door to practice that the team comes before they do um i always felt like it, it and i don't care what sport what level that if the team has a shared vision, regardless if you're a good coach or a bad coach, if you're a great X and O coach or not, but if a team shares a, a vision, uh, we're tough to beat. And so I wanted to re- remind myself that what am I doing today that that uh, keeps us together? So that's uh, so anyway, yeah, that's it. And so the follow up question I have that then is: Was there any? In regard to helping the team remain a team, was that done with collective conversations or individual conversations or various team building activities or uh, maybe a mix of all three of those? How did you kind of keep a beat on remaining a team throughout the year? Well, uh, it's a good question because it's, uh, first of all, I I have to uh, rewind my my brain to like 10 years ago, but um, you know how it is as a season. Let's say you have a, a tough loss. And I, I remember one year, um, uh, it was my favorite year, to be honest with you. Now, now that I think back, uh, I don't know if many coaches admit that, that they have a favorite year, but this was my favorite year. <clears throat> anyway, um, we, uh, we were, we were going on a pretty good ride, but we had a, a bump in the road and, um, and you could just feel the, the tension, you know, there, that, that things were starting to shift a little bit. And um, so I just decided to do something goofy. You know, I got in, I got in the locker room and uh, <laughs> uh, there's a song in, in the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? called uh, Keep on the Sunny Side. And so I got up there and, and did a little show and, and, um, sang along with the, I mean, they just didn't expect it, you know, it's just, and sometimes I think that's good as a coach to do something that's unexpected, that's not normal. And it, it, it kind of, uh, resets the mentality a little bit that we had a few laughs and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not something I would necessarily recommend to any coach to get up there and sing a song, but at the same time, I think it is good to, to keep them on their toes a little bit to just to, do something they don't expect, you know, and uh, I don't know if that helped us become a team, but I think anytime you can laugh together as a, as a, as a group, that's a good thing. Absolutely. And I think I can even attest in my short experience, some of the most powerful things that we've had happen for our team in regard to team building have been experiences outside of basketball. Um, mm-hmm. And it could be anything as silly as playing wiffle ball and having ice cream for a practice yeah. or taking the team out to eat instead of practicing or anything like that. And so I appreciate you sharing that creative idea there with uh, everyone who is listening. The second one on your list, I think 
again, I really resonate with and is always something that I think coaches need to continue to try to do. And it can be so hard, especially with the age we live in with tons of information. But your second point is to keep things simple or to simplify and to not complicate winning. Uh, walk me through that one. It's, I'm like the worst, John. Or, you know, I, I would, I could, uh, and thank goodness I wasn't coaching. I'm not coaching now. I'm not a head coach now because there's so much out there, even more than there was back then, but left to my own advices, I, I would, it's, it's a shiny object syndrome, you know, I see a play, I go, whoa, I mean, that can work for us, and and so you just have, after a while, you, you know, you, you look at your list of, of plays or whatever, and you've got like, you know, 400 plays, it's like, well, geez, and then you play against a good coach who has kept it simple, and you realize that you don't really need all that stuff. You know, and, and so it's it's having clarity. I think if you have clarity as a as a head coach, I think your players play more free, and they have clarity too. And I and I think less is always more. And um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, one year, uh, this is when Kurt Miller, who's the Connecticut son, WNBA coach, he was at Bowling Green. I was at Toledo. We're big rivals, and he he just obviously did a great job at Bowling Green. Um, and uh, we were, we were running the Princeton. Uh, it was in one particular game, and and um, we're running the Princeton offense, and we're running the Chin series, and we're 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 moving the ball, we're going side to side, and we're we're back cutting, and we're it looks great, and uh, you know, but we don't get a shot. We get a shot, we miss. What? But we we probably had the ball the whole day on possession. They come down the floor, set a high ball screen for their point guard. She goes in, shoots a layup, and scores. We're down two nothing. And I, I'll never forget that moment because I'm going, why? Why am I running Princeton offense if I can just set a high ball screen and get a layup? Mm-hmm. And they didn't even they didn't even pass the ball. You know, we went pass, 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 side to side, don't score. Take <laughs> the one screen and, and get a layup, and think it's got to be an easier way to do this. So, uh, anyway, to me, I always had to remind myself to to keep it simple. So, yeah, I love it. And in your experience, I'm not sure you maybe even have this written down, but do you have a thought for like, what are some simple things that translate into wins that you've seen over your 40 year career? Oh, man. Um, explain that a little bit more. What, what do you what do you mean? There? Yeah. So maybe just some common threads that, you know, the good teams that you've had or the good teams that you've played against some commonalities between all of them um, that maybe are overlooked because they are somewhat simple in nature. Um, it could be, you know, as simple as just making layups or, you know, getting to the free throw line. Um, maybe any kind of threads just like that. I, I think, I, I really think, as you mentioned that, um, free throws are huge to me. I mean, we, we always wanted, I know a lot of coaches have this philosophy, but we always wanted to, make more free throws than the opponent's shot. And in my best teams, um, it, it always seemed like we were we were good at the free throw line. We certainly worked on them, them a lot, but but we wanted to make sure on the defensive end that we, we kept teams off the free throw line. So I was I was I was a huge stickler for I, I just didn't care for block shots. It just wasn't a big deal for me. If we got one, okay, big deal. I mean everybody goes crazy. I didn't care. I just wanted arms up in the air. I wanted straight arms up and uh, give them a chance to miss. 
which a lot of times it did if you had good pressure on, on the mm -hmm. shot. And then let's get the ball and go down the other end. So keep them off the free throw line. And then on the other end, what can we do to attack? What can we do to, to uh, can we get the ball inside, get, get post moves, uh, get an and one there? Can we, you know, are we driving? Are we, are we being aggressive offensively? Are we getting to the free throw line? So that was obviously one of the, the, um, the, the big issues, uh, uh, for us was just uh, keeping them off the free throw line and uh, and us getting to the line. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that there. Um, the third one on your list is to choose your words carefully and to give the players positive pushes. Um, again, I know in my short time coaching, that is a difficult one. Um, because there's so many different emotions that do get caught up into coaching, but then, you know, upon reflection, you can really see how important that is. Um, just kind of elaborate on that one there. You know, the year I got out of coaching, um, of course I didn't have it when I wrote these 10 reminders, but I, I was in a, a Myers and I'm looking through the books and I found a, a book. Let me turn and look. Uh, it's right behind me. Uh, there it is. Positive words, powerful results. A guy by the name of Hal Urban. And, uh, you know, it was like five bucks at the, Myers, and I'd never heard it before. It's not a, a big popular book out there in the coaching world or anything, but the more I read it, I'm thinking, well, I could have used, <laughs> I could have used this book. Um, it just talked about how powerful words are and that words are choices and it's how it's better to respond to situations than react. And, um, but just respect the power of the words that you use. You know, I, I'll never forget. I mean, I can still remember, I'm 66. But I can remember when I was in eighth grade, I can still remember the words that my eighth grade coach, Dick Jones, uh, used at halftime because he, he praised me at halftime. You know, it's the first time maybe anyone had ever done that to me. I, I remember I was diving for a loose ball and it went went away from us and we dove again but the same two players and I didn't even think anything of it. But But, you know, those words kind of galvanized in me that not only did it give me confidence, but it, it kind of hardwired in me the kind of player I wanted to be. Well, if I want to get praised again, I'm going to dive again. I'm going to do all those hustle plays. And, and it helped me become the player that I was. It helped me grow in the love of the game. Just those simple words. He forgot about them a second after he said them, but I've remembered them the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know. It, it's uh, so I really I, I value words. I'm an old English teacher, and um, there was a great uh, Ben Franklin quote. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it. Something like, uh, "It's easy to say the right thing at the right time. It's it's harder not to say the wrong thing." And these are the best two words at the tempting moment. How often does that happen in our coaching career where <laughs> something happens and we, re we react to it and we say it's very tempting to say what you're going to say. It, it might be something sarcastic, which is the, the deepest cut of all or something, you know, that that's going to it's not a positive push. It's it's a negative pull. And so it's, it's harder to say the wrong thing, uh, not to say the wrong thing at, at the tempting moment. And that, that tempting moment seems to always uh, mess us up as coaches. So anyway, um, 
you know, and a positive push doesn't have to be a word. It could be a, a fist pump. It could be a pat on the back. And again, going back to Jonesy, my, my eighth grade coach, he's why I'm in coaching today. Uh, he was the first guy that patted me on the back. I've never forgotten that. You know, it's like it gave me confidence, gave me a boost. And so that, that's, that to me is what a positive push is. I think that's great. Thank you for sharing all of that, especially the stories are definitely very cool to hear. Uh, the next one on the list is to to connect with the players, to talk with them daily, to make each one feel important. Uh, I'm sure that that probably looks like many different things on many different days. Um, but did you have any kind of like ritual or checklist you would go through to make sure that you were doing that? You know, what I really wanted to do is, is at the very least, um, acknowledge them in practice, you know, before practice started, while they're stretching or even before then, you know, just to connect and, and make sure that my assistant coaches were doing the same thing. It could just be a little fist bump. You know, how's, how'd your test go? You know, anything, you know, to talk about a movie and just to let them know, I acknowledge you. I see you. Uh, you know, that, 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 I didn't want, I didn't want to make it any more than that, except that, um, I, I never wanted to be. What, what was the book that came out about transactional versus transformational coaching? Uh, Do you remember that book? Inside Out Coaching. Yeah. Well, that's another book that uh, that I read after I left Toledo. That I wish I'd had when I was at Toledo, because I and I'd like to think I was transformational, but I, I think I'm also I was also transactional too, and. Uh, you know, especially, <clears throat> I think when you're a, when you're a head coach in college, or at, at, you know, maybe any time, and you're judged by wins and losses. You know, there's a transaction to be made there. Excuse me. <clears throat> and I don't take pride in saying that, but I I do know in reading that said, yeah, I'm not. I was not a perfect coach. I I, I needed to remind myself to make sure that the players came first that and I've seen a lot of examples of this in my time both as a head coach and assistant coach out of when I after Toledo and everything that there's just I've just seen coaches who it's more about them and and their experience and and their success and and it's less about the players and it shouldn't be that way and so I, again, I wrote this before, transactional versus transformational, but I guess it was my way of saying it's like, you know, it isn't about you, Mark. Just let's take care of the players first. I love that philosophy. And then I think the fifth one you have on your list probably even comes into that as well. Um, and that's to demand more, to challenge the players, to get them to uh, go beyond good enough to give them what they need, not necessarily what they want. And I think that's obviously a fine line to walk, but that certainly is part of uh, being that transformational coach that you there alluded to is helping players get to where they can't take themselves. Um, go ahead and kind of walk through maybe what were some things you would do to give those players that challenge um, and maybe even how you saw that play out in positive results. Well, don't you think like this is the definition of a coach? I mean, this is why we have even that job description or that position available is like, you've got a collection of players. They need someone to guide them and to push them and to give them a vision and to challenge them. And look, it's in our human nature, not to, it's our human nature to be comfortable and not push ourselves to do as little as possible. 
to stay in that comfort zone is something we we talk about with with my brain trained basketball now when I'm working with players and teams it's like you, we can't be comfortable and excellent at the same time you've got to make a decision here and so it's our job to to get them to do things they don't want to do to like you said take them to a place they couldn't get to on their own and then the hardest part is is it's one thing to, to have an individual to get them to do something but then you've got to do it with others you know so you've got to collectively take a group of people to challenge them and to make them be better than than what they're I, I think it's the uh, it's it's the frustrating part but it's also the most rewarding part when it when it you know, culminates in something great, you know, and you feel like, and some of the best feelings I've had is like, you know, at the end of the year when we were cutting down nets and it's like, wow, we, we really did something here, you know, and, um, all the, all the, the, the blood, sweat and tears were, were worthwhile. Um, you know, the, the, the best teams are those, those teams that are, well, the phrase I use with with with, with uh, teams right now when I work with with teams on on brain train stuff is I said you've got to be a little bit ab- abnormal, and they kind of <laughs> it's not a word you would normally use, but it's true you you don't want to be normal. You the the best teams are the ones that just work the hardest, that that talk the most, that are just crazy obsessed out on the floor. You know, and that you can see the the common bond that they have for each other. Um, I, there was a we were fortunate one year to um, it was two thousand two. Duke was fourth in the country, and they came into Savage Hall, Toledo, and we had a great crowd there, and uh, we were able to upset them. And um, I was I was watching the game tape. Uh, well, I watch it every night, <laughs> not <this> season, <laughs> but. Uh, but I was watching it one time and I just noticed the number of times, like there was a big free throw. A kid was going to the free throw line just with an and one and, uh, just the number of, uh, fist bumps and, and butt slaps and just touches, you know, and I, and a lot of coaches know that there were studies done that, that claims that winning teams touch each other and, and get a lot of touches. And I started watching that in this game and I, I was, just pleasantly surprised. It's not something we ever really talked about, but it was true that there was a real uh, bond there and they were displaying it non-verbally. And, um, so anyway, um, I think this is why we coach, you know, this is why we have jobs is, is that a group of people need to be challenged to get them to go beyond what they think they can do. And I wanted to remind myself of that every day, that this is why I have the job. It's not to, uh, uh, you know, necessarily win games. It's, it's to, to help these kids be better. And as I look at the list here, Mark, is there a like definitive structure for how you have them laid out? They kind of seem to build off of each other. You know, point three is to choose your words carefully. Point four is to connect the players and make them feel important. And then point five is to to, to demand more. Is, is there some level of thought with how that's structured? Because those first two lay the foundation so that the third can actually take place? So you're asking me if I'm like John Wooden and there's a pyramid of... of uh, <laughs> yeah, pyramid. to a degree. I, I wish... No, I wish I could say that's true. I, it may be, but to be honest with you, I don't remember there being 
I, you know what I probably did when I put this together? I probably did put them in some sort of order because that would be like something I would do to obsess over it uh, <laughs> to, a, to a certain degree. But I can't remember there, there being an order. In fact, when I was looking at it last night in preparation for for today, I, I, I look at uh, like if I were to just have – three reminders i would probably go with one five and ten i know we've not we're not that far yet but they they seem to epitomize what it is mm. to be a coach you know to, to to bring a group together and to remain a, a, together and then to, to challenge them and then to to have a vision which is number 10 we're not there yet but but um so anyway i'm rambling but uh, I, uh in terms of did i really organize this well i don't, I can't really say that I, that I did, I don't think. Gotcha. Well, it certainly comes across that way, I think, as, as as I look at it here. And kind of going with that same flow, I think, you know, the next three talk about just preparation and practice. And so point six is to walk into practice the right way, to be upbeat and positive, and to try to end practice in the same way. Uh, kind of flesh that one out. You know, I, I don't know where I got the quote, uh, but it was... Tommy Lasorda, who was the manager of the the L.A. Dodgers back in the uh, uh, 60s, 70s, something like that, um, and and it was his quote that said, "I want to walk into practice the right way, upbeat and positive." And I forget what the rest of the quote was, but I think, well, that's really uh, that's really good for me because you know there there are days where coaches, like, just like players, don't feel it. And you're the leader, and you've got to. If, you, if, if you're not, we always told our players, look, if, if you have issues, whether it's personal issues or you've got a big test or you've got lots of things on your mind, you've got to find a way to leave it. When you, as soon as you walk in the doors to the arena, your your mind is on this. Your mind is on the team and, and what we're trying to accomplish. And I'm. This was my reminder to do the same thing and not just to leave things behind from the office, but to if, if I want a team that's upbeat and positive and I've got to be that way, too. And there were a lot of times I remember my hand on the door <laughs> saying, OK, what do, how do I want to be here? Because I wasn't having a good day or whatever. But as soon as I opened the door, uh, I would have to fake it sometimes, you know, just to and and. and you know, I, I think in listening to Tony Robbins, he talks about the, how important it is to have a power posture when you're not feeling it and how, how the body can sometimes, you know, trick your mind into, into being, you know, more positive and, 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 and more upbeat. And, and so it was, it was just my reminder that um, leave everything behind and, and just um, make this practice I, I've got to lead the charge in terms of making sure that the practice is what I want it to be. And, and then I wanted to end practice the same way too. And a lot of coaches do this. I mean, we, I, I, I didn't want to end practice on a negative, whether it's, we wouldn't do shooting games every day, but I mean, we'd have a shooting game or we would have a challenge of some sort, or maybe it was even like, uh, you know, a free throw challenge or, or something, you know, that, uh, that we would do to, um, just to be positive. Maybe it was just, you know, uh, I didn't do this often, but there was if we had a two-hour practice and uh, and we were, and the practice was really going good, and I would say, you know what, we're done, and and they again that that goes back to being unexpected, do something that they don't see coming, and um, you know so after an hour, an hour and a half, say we're good, and 
you know, so that uh, outstanding practice now at B2, because as much as they may love coming to practice, but you can still cut practice short, and they love that even more. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, and that kind of leads right into number seven, which is to make practice a place that the players want to be. Um, That obviously, I think, is, is, is a great goal to have. What were some things that you did in your practices to make it in an environment that the players enjoyed? Well, I, I think, you know, we, I, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to go long, first of all. I didn't want to make it a drudge. And look, that's as much for the coaches as it is for the players. I mean, coaches don't want to be out there three hours mm-hmm. either. Um, so I, I wanted to, you know, I say two hours, but that's also with stretching and, and, and all the other things that, that lead up you know, to, to practice. But I thought if we could, if we could keep it at an hour and a half, two hours, first of all, I think that's the one thing I, you know, I I always had to remind myself, catch myself not to talk too much, you know, not to, not to stop a drill. I mean, you'd have to once in a while, but I just, you know, I think early in my career, Starting to lose my voice a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, early in my career, I would just I would just talk too much. You know, I thought that's what coaching was. Is like they they had to hear my opinions on everything, and it just doesn't have to be. You know, so I I, I learned as I got older how to pick and choose my moments a little bit, um, and I, I think players want to be challenged. I think in practice they want competition. Uh, I think anything you can do to stoke their love of the game itself and, and not to stamp it out, I think those are, are good things mm-hmm. too. But it's a, it's a daily fight, I think, you know, to, to, to make that. And, and look, not all practices are great. You know, that's just the way it is. You've got to be able to accept that. And sometimes it's the coach's fault too. It's sometimes it's the design of practice. I mean, there, there were, there were times when in practices where, I'd get stubborn and I'd say, we're going to do this till we get it right. And that's the stupidest thing I think a coach could ever say sometimes because it, they're never going to get it right. Sometimes the harder they try, the worse it gets, the worse it gets, the worse it gets. And then, and now all of a sudden you just say, forget about it and let's just, let's just move on. And, and that's just not the way to do it. You know, um, you know, so much of what I read today is about wanting practices to be ugly and and making practices more like games and being okay with that you know and and um i I think i was too much caught in that perfection mindset where it had to be done to perfection and i think there's there's obviously a scale uh for for both both are both are important you know you you want to you want to make things perfect but you've got to accept the ugly because that's the way the game is I like that a lot, and I think you're right on the money. Uh, the final point, I think, that at least in talking about practice on your list here is to teach every day and to create winning habits. Um, and again, you mentioned not wanting to talk too much and over-talk in practice, but certainly there's those moments when, when you need to step in. Uh, how, For you as a coach, was that more of a feel thing of finding those moments, or did you kind of know when they were going to be based on how you plan practice out? What did that look like? How did you make sure that you were teaching without over-talking? Well, I remember, and again, I have to have to go back um, to what we did. But I, I wanted to make sure that, first of all, fundamentals weren't uh, discarded. That we just didn't get into <clears throat> execution of plays or offense or defense or whatever. That so you know we we would start practice 
making sure that I, I wanted to start with fundamentals, whether it was position work or whether it was, you know, we, we did a thing called three lines where uh, we would just work on footwork. We would go up and down the floor. We'd start without a ball. We'd work on jump stops and stride stops and um, pivoting and just stuff you would do in elementary school. But, uh, but when you do it every day, the players get, first of all, they, they get the idea like if we do this every day, that must mean, it means something. It must be that it's important, even though it's a little thing. And uh, and I and I, so I tried to stress that it's the little things, those little habits that that sometimes are the difference, you know, between winning and losing, especially when you're playing, you know, another great team. Um, so that we would start without a ball, then we then we put in a ball, we work on our dribbling, we work crossover, we would, we'd do all the, the dribbling drills, the jump stops, the pivots, with the, and then we'd work on passing, and then we'd, and we'd change the, we'd, do, we'd start every day in three lines, but then we would change what we would do from day to day so it wouldn't be too repetitive, but it would all be fundamental stuff, individual offensive stuff, and then we'd go into position work from there. And, uh, and we do a lot. We, we worked a lot of shooting. It's uh, one thing that I think I tried to emphasize with, with them is how important it was. And, and, and so I think subconsciously what, what came out was like, well, first of all, we, we got good at the little things because we did it every day. And we didn't take a lot of time with it. But I felt good about after practice because I felt like, well, we got a little bit better today in fundamentals. We and, and I didn't ignore them, you know, like it's so easy to do. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. And then the final two here, um, number nine, again, I think is just so important. And certainly something I would say I, I'm, I'm still learning uh, in my time coaching, but that is to be yourself and to not take yourself so seriously. Um, was that kind of always how you operated as a coach or did you kind of maybe morph into that more as you became more comfortable and as your career continued on? You know, when I first started uh, coaching, it was 1976, and this was a pivotal year in college coaching. It was it was John Wooden's first year out of coaching, and it was Bobby Knight's undefeated team. Uh, and and so I remember back then it was almost like you were you had to be one or the other. You had to be like John Wooden, you know, the kindly. Uh, you know, the, the teacher kind of calm, quiet, or you had to be a maniac like Bob Knight, you know, and, and, and back then, I mean, I mean, there was just all kind of coaches out there yelling and screaming at the refs and that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's changed a little bit, changed a lot, actually, I, I think, but, but I remember thinking back then, well, who do I want to be? And so you end up, I think, taking a little bit from both. I mean, because both were great coaches in their own ways, obviously. But um, you find out after a while, it's like you really can't be anyone. You just got to be yourself. When I when I took the Toledo job back in the um, um, uh, in the mid-90s, uh, I replaced um, Bill Fenley, who was, who was a great coach, <clears throat> still a great coach at Iowa State. And, but he and I are different, and, and there were high expectations. I mean, he left the cupboard full. I mean, great players. Uh, took over for a great coach, and so there were worries in Toledo. And, by the, you know, when you coach at Toledo, there are people who care, which is why I went there. I mean, we, I mean back then we would draw 
you know, three, four, five thousand for games, and we outdrew the men's team. Still do, I think, at Toledo. But there are constant comparisons, you know. It's like, uh, and so it drove me crazy because I wasn't Bill. I was going to be my own person. I, I remember finding a, a picture of Popeye online. No, it was a card. Somebody gave me a card one time. Might have been my wife. Gave me a card with Popeye on the front. Now, younger people don't probably even know who Popeye is, but um, he used to say, I am what I am, and that's all what I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Anyway, um, so I am what I am. And that kind of became, especially that first year, my my little motto. And I, I, I put a picture of Popeye on my wall. I'm sure, you know, my players will come in and see Popeye and go, what the heck is going on here? But I just wanted to be myself. I, I, I like to, I, I enjoy what I do and I like to have fun. And, and, and I think players can spot a mile off when you're not, when you're, when you're fake, when you're not yourself. Um, so anyway, and in terms of taking yourself so seriously, well, you know, Look, I, sometimes as a coach, I would be so wound up, you know, and it's like, I would just talk to myself and say, why are, why it's a game, you know, just enjoy it, you know, and I, I had to constantly remind myself of that. So that's why that was number nine. I like that a lot. And then finally, um, and you alluded to number 10 earlier, but that's to share your vision, your vision constantly to help the team see what they can become both as players and as a team. Um, what did that process look like of you sharing your vision? Was that, you know, in team huddles before practice? Was it through individual conversations? Was it through meetings in your office? What did that process look like for you painting that vision? Yeah, I think that's all of the above. I think it's all the time. I think it's one of the most important things a coach can do. First of all, is to have a vision, is, is to have a map and say, this is where we're going. Uh, and um, I, I learned this back in the 80s. I learned the mental game by going to a camp called the Yes, I Can Camp. A guy named Stan Kellner, who was a high school basketball coach, who started these camps. And uh, that's where I first learned visualization and, and positive self-talk and motiv- motivation. It, it was just great. And, it, and, and I say that because I, I did it at the same time. I took over as a head coach for the first time a girls program in Cincinnati. And it helped me win a state championship. We had, they had never had a winning season. Four years later, we were undefeated state champs. And one of the biggest things I, I took from Stan's camp was the idea of, of, of visualizing and, and constantly thinking about, you know, there's, there's a phrase, uh, what is it, that we become what we think about. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what it was. And so back then at, at, um, with my Forest Park team, I mean, it's all we talked about. These, these kids, when I, I, you could see the potential even, you know, when these kids – came in as, as sophomores and so um, we I took them to the state tournament they saw teams cut down the nets and I wanted them to see that and as we got closer to reaching our potential we we had little individual goal charts in the state of you know cut out on our on our bulletin board as they walked in the locker room every day they saw every te- every player on the team had a state of Ohio and then for when they reached an individual or team goal, we had hearts that they put up because our phrase was, you got to have heart. Uh, and, and so all they saw was like 12 state of Ohio's. So every time they walked in the door, they, they visualized what that Ohio meant. And, um, 
and, and sure enough, it uh, you know you, you talk about a team with a shared vision. Well, we had that vision for three years. I mean, I had I had that vision as well. I mean, I remember driving to work every day and putting on my 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 uh, uh, Rocky song, not the song, not the the song everybody thinks about, but the I forget what it's called, but uh, it's, it's 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 at the end of Rocky where where it's like the the big showdown and. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just to me. It was it was my song that I played, and I and I saw our, our our team coming from behind in the state championship and winning the game. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we had to come from behind and and won the game in overtime. So um, that's where I learned about sharing a vision, and uh, it's just stuck with me ever since. I think it's the most important thing that a that a player can do. Um, and it's important for the coach, but it's also important that that you you have you you share it with your team and and the, and when they buy in now you've got you've got it cooking now you you know that you're going to have some fun this year well that is an awesome list and again i know that i have a list uh that's similar to that and i've definitely stolen some things off of yours and i appreciate you sharing that um but before you know we do wrap, wrap up our time i, I have a few other questions i want to hit you with just cuz i'd be remiss to not ask you them uh, after the great career, career you've had uh, the the next one I want to dive into is just, you know, if, if a young head coach was to call you, Mark, and just ask for your advice for, you know, him or her starting out, they're taking over a program, where would you tell them that they should begin or what reminder or lesson would you share with them? Uh, well, um, I remember when I first started, I didn't think I knew enough. And, and so it, I, I became... And I'm still this way. Like I, I'm a life lifetime learner. I think you've got to be that. I think you've got to be someone who's curious. Uh, I think curiosity is is one of the best things we can have as well as, as a person, I guess. But especially as a coach, and don't worry that you don't know it all. You you never will. I mean, if you do, then I think you're you know you're only fooling yourself. But uh, uh, I think it's great to say with the team, and I and I I remember saying this. You know, years into my coaching, was, I don't. Somebody would ask me something, and I'd say, "I don't know," and it, it frees me up from having to be a know-it-all. But it's the truth. You know, it's like if you don't know something, just say you don't know it. Don't try to pretend like you you, you know everything about the game. Um, so, um, so I think that's one thing, and I think just you know, I think coaches. Uh, in general, I think you got to be a thief. I think you steal everything you can, but don't use everything you steal. You know, because I, I think I really alluded to this way earlier when we first started talking. You know, I would, I would see things, and my, you know, my, my file cabinet would be filled with, with things. But you can't do everything that you see. But you do have to like, you can take little things from from something you see or whatever. You can tweak things, but. Um, um, you got to be a thief, I think, and I think the third thing is if if I, I, I think it's it's great to have a mentor, you know, it's great to uh, and if you don't have one naturally, someone you played for or uh, whatever it might be, it's great if you can find one. I, I never really had one, to be honest with you, growing up as 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 a coach, and uh, everything I learned, I learned from reading and camps and clinics and. Anything I get my hands on, but boy, it's it's great to have somebody you can call for advice. 
or if you're having a bad day or, or whatever it might be, if you can if you can find that person that you can kind of lean on when times are tough, I think that's a good thing. Sometimes it's just to to talk somebody off the ledge. You know, it's like it's it's okay. You know, you're going to be okay. Um, I think the next thing is is that, uh, and maybe the most important thing, Skip Prosser, who I was fortunate enough to to work beside. He was on the men's staff at Xavier, and I was on the women's side, of course. But uh, he said the most important thing you can do is hire the right people to be with you. And um, so that's it's it's hard, you know, to to find those people. But um, I think if you find a good person and a person who loves the game, somebody who has a work ethic, even if they don't know the game as well. I mean, I, I think you, you can train the rest. You can, they can learn stuff if they, if they, if they're driven and they're, and they're a good person. Um, so, um, and the last thing is, and this, this just happened yesterday. I, I, it's funny. You're always, I'm always looking for little things. I was watching a, uh, something on YouTube, Kathy Bates, the actress, uh, great interview with her. And she was about to become a first time director. And she was a little nervous with, um, working with other actors, you know, and, and, and how to, how to work with them. And, and she asked a famous director, Mike Nichols, he said, what, do you have any tips for me working with other with other actors? And he just said, you know, just love them, you know. And, and I thought, well, that's that's a perfect thing for coaches too. I mean, don't complicate this thing, man. Just just love your players and uh, and and serve them. Don't worry about what they can do for you. Just just be a servant and love them. And uh, I think if you do that as a coach, I think you'll you'll be a success. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And then kind of as you reflect on your career, uh, you know, I'm sure there was highs, like you've mentioned, winning state championships and cutting down nets. I'm sure there was lows as well. The first question I, I want to hit you with in regard to those highs and lows is just what was your best moment as a coach? Hey, you know, <laughs> it's so hard. It's great that you have to think about it. I mean, I, I think um, because there were some some really – Fond memories, obviously. Um, but in 2001, we were the number one seed in the MAC tournament. And to make a long story short, we're walking in at halftime against Kent State uh, with a chance now, you know, we've got to win this thing to go to the NCAA tournament. And we averaged 75, 76 points a game, could really score. Really, we're my favorite team. We're down at half, 38 to 15. We scored 15 points in the first half. And it's, and we just didn't see this coming at all. We knew it would be a good game, but we didn't think we'd be down by, what, 20, 23 points or whatever it was. And uh, we just <laughs> – we were just beside ourselves. And so, you know, what do you do, you know? And so I, we went in and uh, – we took a deep breath, first of all, and uh, we just tried to calm them a little bit. <clears throat> I wanted to remind them about who they were, who they are, how they got to this point, and how the team that played out there in the first half wasn't us, you know, it was somebody else. But second half, we'll be back. And then and, <clears throat> and I think what a lot of coaches do when they're down a lot of halftime <clears throat> is let's just win the first five minutes. Forget about 
what's going to happen at the end of the game. Let's just win these next five minutes. And and don't you know, this is the most amazing second half I've ever had as a coach. Because we had one player, her name is Colleen Carter, and she went off like a player. Well, I've just never seen anything like it. It was what I said at the time, but it was Jordan-esque. It was like something Michael Jordan would or could do. First of all, she hit her first five shots. <clears throat> and in five minutes, we cut their lead in half. And she goes on to score 32 second-half points. Wow. She outscored the whole Kent team. She was 9 of 11 from the field. She was 10 of 11 from the free-throw line and 4 for 4 from the arc. And <clears throat> so you asked me about my best moment. And it occurred at the beginning of the second half, we stopped them. We're coming down on transition. Kali, who was a stretch four, could really shoot the three. She catches the ball on the wing right by our bench. And I'm kneeling there right beside her. And she's looking left and looking right. And I said, you talk about the power of words and the power of affirmation. And... I said that to, and I, I didn't realize at the time. I just it just was a natural thought. I said two words to her that, that changed the whole game. Shoot it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gave her the freedom. And I'm not taking. Believe me when I say this, I'm not taking credit for it. But I mean, I've never forgotten that either. It's like, oh, what if I hadn't said that? Would she have shot it anyway? I mean, I don't know. But it's like. To me, it, it gives me great, great pleasure in remembering and just re- reminding myself of of the, the freedom that we can give players if, if we allow them that. Uh, so I'm not saying I unlocked her. I'm not certainly taking credit for that performance, but it's one I'll never forget. Awesome story. And the final question I have, Mark, is just if you were to start your career over tomorrow, if you had to go back and do the whole thing again, uh, what are some things that you would do the same and maybe what's one or two things you would do differently? Um, my very first year in coaching, I was a freshman boys coach at Bluffton High School. And talk about learning on the job. I had an out-of-bounds play called T because they lined up in a T. I thought that was clever. That helped them remember. So my very first game, I'm calling T, T, and I, and I put my hands up like a T. And the ref calls a timeout. I'm going, well, that's how you learn, you know. It's like <laughs> never have an out-of-bounds play call T and make that signal because it doesn't work. So that would be one thing. But more importantly, I I think, and I'll I'll share this because it's, I think it's really important for coaches because if you're in it long enough, you're probably going to get fired. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that, but it's probably true. I mean, you either walk away or or you, you lose your job or something like that. And that's what happened at Toledo. I was there for 13 years and last few years, didn't go well and and uh my ad gave me a chance to you know he was very honest with me and said you know we've got to get to this level we didn't quite get there almost but anyway that wasn't my mistake and losing the job was a mistake was how i handled it and and i felt like a failure despite all the the success that i had enjoyed as a coach i felt like i let my myself down and my family down and my fans down and um and of course that's the biggest mistake i i could make you know i it it took a big hunk of my life away because i started playing small ball with my life not really stretching myself and, and um you know that 
I just want to remind coaches of that, that, that you, you know, you never really lose. You know, I, I don't think you either win or you learn. And, uh, I, I didn't take it that way at, at the time. Uh, I read a quote recently that says failure is only an event, not a characteristic that people can't be failures. You know, that failure is only a character is only an event. It took me a while to get to this point, and, and that's really why I started, you know, brain train basketball. I wanted to, to push myself and, and get back to giving again and, and scratching a new itch and getting out of my comfort zone and uh, approach, approaching a part of the game that's probably still overlooked. But uh, it, it gets me excited again, and, and uh, so I'm excited about that. Now, um, what I would do over again is, is I, I would, uh, I, I wouldn't do much. If I got to do it over again, I'd do it in a second. I mean, I, it's been, it's just been a great ride, but, uh, first of all, I would, I would go back into girls basketball. I remember the moment when I got into girls basketball, we did it. I was a freshman. I was a reserve boys coach and we did our banquets together at forest park and, at the banquet's end, after I saw all the girls get up, and they were looking for a girls coach for the next year, and I saw potential in them, and I said, I want to be your next girls coach. And four years later, we were undefeated state champs. So I would definitely do that again to get into girls basketball. And then when I took the Xavier job, this, this <laughs> the salaries aren't quite what they are today. I took a pay cut from teaching, which – te- teaching contracts weren't great back then either. This was in the, in the uh, late 80s. My dad thought I was crazy that I would I would take a step back. You know, I made barely nothing, but those nine years I spent at Xavier were the really some of the best years of my life. I learned so much. You know, just uh, we had nothing. You know, we played in an old field house, but I had you know Skip Prosser and Pete Gillen on the men's side. Just I just constantly just took everything that they could give me. Um, and it was just a great nine years of being poor, but basketball rich. And um, so um, if, if I could change one thing, I, I would just enjoy the, 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 uh, the wins more. Mm. You know, I would uh, and, and suffer the losses less. I, I think that's I was I, I just didn't handle that very well. And I wish I, I, I but I wish I would have enjoyed my wins more. And uh, I think coaches, we, uh, you know, we don't remember the wins as much as we want to just mourn over the losses, you know. I remember times being on the bus coming home from games and just being a a pouty little idiot, you know. And and instead, I should have been back with my team making sure that they were okay, you know. But I would would be up in front watching the game over again and pouting. And and, uh, that's what I would change instantly, you know. I would just – I would enjoy my team more. My, my coaching staff more. I would enjoy the successes a lot um, and, and not take the losses as hard. Great reminders there. Uh, I certainly really appreciate you sharing those, Mark. Before we do say goodbye, um, for everyone that does listen, if they want to learn more about what you're doing with, with Brain Train or get in contact with you, can you just quickly share kind of what Brain Train is, what your hope is uh, with that program, and then how anybody else can reach you should they want to talk to you more about that? That'd be great. Uh, yeah, look, look <clears throat> very simply, we're, we're looking to build inner excellence. You know, we, we work on the, on our, on our mental skills and, and my overriding goal is to make sure that we, we create, uh, 
competent, composed, consistent competitors. You know, we want to clear out the static that, that can be in our brain and help us play to our potential. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do. We work with individuals one-on-one. Uh, I spent some time this year working with, with teams, uh, having like uh, three or four sessions with, with teams. And it's been, it's been great. We, we've really enjoyed it. it I, I hope this year it can just build from, from, from there. But uh, you can find me online at uh, www.braintrainbasketball.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter at the same thing, uh, Brain Train Basketball, <clears throat> and Facebook as well. So awesome. Well, Mark, I really can't thank you enough for uh, just the time that you share with me, and I certainly loved our conversation. I know, uh, you know, knowing you for the past year, you've certainly been a great resource and a good friend to me, and uh, I'm very thankful for you and for all that you shared with us today.